no bearing on the oh, whole thing. Little blue pill, everyone. Both of these things kind of bang together at the same time, and the music was like so exciting, you know. And it was like as it crossed over into the charts. So like these songs were appearing in the, in the British charts that were like, where do they come from? They were coming from the dance underground, you know. So like it was this thing that was just you know kind of moving everywhere we went. It was fantastic. You know, it's you know here we got Mike. He's got his frame from Hacienda, so you're bringing him over. Uh, he, I, I have to say, uh, he he invited me over to come over to you know to see the club and you know to hang out and go to the night. And I went over um, myself and my wife went over, Jack, and we went we went over. And I went to the club with him before it opened, you know, just to see he let you to see the whole setup. And like we were driving to the club at half seven in the evening, and the queue wow. all the way around the block. I was going seven times. I said, who are these people? He said, that's the queue. Like, by the time, by nine o'clock, the club was absolutely full. Oh, I was going, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, and then you could see exactly what was going on. Like, it was the beginning of the whole thing. Like, that was 88 nude, the nude night. with, And then you had the two of them. We saw the, and they were both very different DJs. You had Mike, Mike Picker, and then Graham Park. And like, Graham being more technical and kind of, you know, amazing mixer. And then Mike kind of had a different vibe to him. He brought the he brought the thing in a different way, and I saw that kind of the way the two of them worked together was incredible. Mm. And you like, and I mean, I got to see it from start to finish, which was lovely. You know, the I, the most interesting time is the warm up to me. You know, getting it how they warmed the club up and how they brought it up and waited and then held it back and then you know got the and then when the place took off it was fantastic. So it was a real kind of lesson in the kind of DJing to see it on such a successful night and an amazing atmosphere. Well, Kind of blew my mind. I came back and he went, "Oh, okay, <laughs> there's something happening." It's like now, what? It's now implementing what you're seeing into your set and helping to elevate your situation to a higher level because someone inspiring you like that—a club, a DJ—you know, the whole, whole, it was the whole package to me. You know, the people, the atmosphere, the friendliness of the people. You know, Mancunians by nature are just so friendly. And it was just, it was just, wow. You know, it was all, I came around from the place. And when I came away from it, I went, oh my God, you know. Yeah. And it was like, we came back to Cork then. He also, Mike did a really nice thing. He brought me to a spin-in where, where he got all his records. And uh, he kind of introduced me to Russ, who kind of picked out his music every week from all the imports. So Russ then started to send me records at the same time. You right. Know? the same kind of bag of records that Mike and Graham were getting. So the records, I was coming in the door, like every week, you know, they'd send them over to me. It was just incredible. Like another box of classics, you know, which, you know, they were to become classics. Huh? So I, you have to, they were new. We were right. Like we knew that then when we were playing the music, we had a really, really strong kind of uh, really good guy sending us great records. Cause it was really hard back then to find the records. You know, you had to read the reviews or, you had to go to a record store, and there was no record store in, in Cork at the time. People remember the way it worked back then was there was no such thing as an MP3 or WAV file. What they would do is they put the phone near the speaker like that. <laughs> phone near the speaker to listen, and you were like, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that. That's hot. Yeah, and you play the best pivot, and then you, you get it, and you go, "Oh no!" Oh Jesus, was I misled on this one? That's why I, I I do miss that that thing at the the record store. You know, the the clamor of people around the counter buying the records. What's that one like? What's that one like? I know it's still there to a point, but not much. Yeah, yeah, that's a, just a different world now. Everything, even the record shops. That, that you brought up a very good point. I brought this up before myself. Um. That's where you met up with everybody in the music, is at the record shop. Totally. Reverse. It's where you made business deals. It's crazy what was going on. At the no, you found out what was going on and what was happening. Are you, you'd hear a tune. Somebody go, have you heard that tune? Or the guy, you know, generally, I often found that, you know, the people behind the counter could have such an influence. They, they put on a tune that people had, may have ignored or there was no hype around. And they put it on and you go, wow, what's that? You know, the, the little B-side, the inner one, the little dub. I was a big fan of the little dubs on the inside of all those great 12 inches. So at this time, as you're honing your skills in the, in the nightclub and 
basically becoming a, a, a crowd favorite because I saw what happened in that town with you guys. Um, they all loved you. They loved to come and hear you guys play. Were you already starting to play around with music production at that time? As Yeah, I think obviously as a DJ, you have a lot of time on your hands. You know, so we just started. We uh, we had a tiny little setup. We had a we had an Atari. I think I still have an ST, and uh, we had a keyboard, maybe and a sampler. Do we have a sampler? I can't remember. But we're very very limited, and we I think we made our first. We did our first record uh, in motion on Red Records '94. Oh really? Okay. We did one. We were called Fishco Tech then, because it was kind of techy. It was kind of, uh, and it was on Red Records. They were a label out of Dublin. Uh, Tim Hannigan and Mark Kavner, uh, good, good, good guys, and they put it out. It did okay, I think, uh, at the time. And then we kind of didn't do much then for a while. You know, I think 90, mm. 97, maybe we put out our own for our own record for the first time on our own label. Why wouldn't you pressured to push that envelope? To keep releasing constantly, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, we, I, we were very. I suppose we were very. Con- we were concentrated on the. We were doing the club, and it was week in, week out, and it was kind of doing really nicely. And we were kind of working away in the music. And I think maybe we hadn't found the kind of our sound or any. You know, we were playing around with ideas, and you know, we were. It, it was very um, early days in our musical development. Like so, it took us a while to get going. But then, bit by bit, I think as well, we, at that time, we didn't have that much equipment. So eventually, I think we invested, we went out and we bought a desk and, you know, compressors and proper monitoring and, you know, set up a a proper studio, you know, in terms of like, you know, you could make good records from it. I still have the desk. It's still here. Which desk is that you owned? The Allen & Heath uh, GS3000 with uh, valve channels and everything. It's a beautiful desk. See, this is what I try to tell people when you're today's game, because most people working inside the box in the computer, you don't have to have all that stuff to make a record. But back then you had to make a commitment, a financial commitment yeah, to be able to buy this equipment because and then make it make money for you. Yeah. Yeah. We had to take a loan out to buy the stuff. I remember it. I remember the company we the company we bought the stuff from in the UK was called Big Boys Toys. And I said, Oh God. When I saw the invoices coming in, I was like, Big Boys Toys. There's nothing boyish about this, my friend. <laughs> but it you know, having you know, having better equipment than, you know, compressors and so it definitely helped us develop our sound then. Uh, you know, and then I think it wasn't until about two thousand that we we signed a load of stuff to iRecords in uh, New Jersey, so. that got us going. I don't. I I know the label. I, I never dealt with him. Uh, yeah, we never got a statement. <laughs> we probably own all the stuff right now. Yeah, we got back to you. Yeah, we we got an advance, but I don't think we ever got a statement. <laughs> that was a lot of people did. They got the advance, but never got the back end of the royalties. Yeah. So uh, yeah. God. There was no deal when it came to kind of digital. Anyway, there you go. No, messed no. up house music. <laughs> that's the how. That's the dark. The first thing they, they, it did. It, it, they were very popular in Europe, you know. So they were always on the wall in all the shops. So like we, he did quite a few um, uh, twelve inches. So and they they were mixed. You know, there was a couple of house tracks on, and then there was more down tempo stuff as well. So it kind of opened up uh, uh, kind of the world to us then. So when on this timeline of this golden era of the nineties, because that's where you know we're we're at right now, you're playing it Thursdays, you're eventually moving to Saturdays. Saturdays by then, yeah. It was Saturdays kind of from the ninth, I think nineties, ninety one maybe. That's Saturday night became huge then. What, what was the driving force for you to book the DJs, the internationals and stuff? Um there was between myself, there was the manager Sean, myself, and and Shane. We would have kind of we realized that you know we we wanted to do a bigger event every now and again, you know, do a weekender thing where there was you know you know a load of because there was so many rooms in that place. There was like one, two, there was like five or six venues, 
you know, you, you, so you can put on different styles of music in different places. So eventually we decided to do one or two of those. And we did, we brought over kind of, I think, did we bring, can't, see, I can't remember the, the, the timeline of the DJs. But it was just, if we liked their music, you know, and we thought it would suit the kind of our sound, we brought them over. Or we were playing a lot of their records a lot of the time, you know. That would have been a kind of reasoning for to, to book somebody. And we felt that it would enhance the the, the, the resident night. You know, because mm. we might have had a DJ at most eight, every, uh, I guess DJ, maybe every 10 weeks or something, you know, when we got when we started doing it. And then we had those bigger weekenders where we had a load of different yeah. And we would have then brought in, there would have been techno and a drum and bass and all sorts of different things. So, so on that note, um, in the in in the early part of Sir Henry's, who would you say was some of the Americans that were around you guys? Uh, I suppose well Kerry. Uh, we had Jerome sitting. Them. He was Jerome and Kerry. They did a big night, and they had Arnold Jarvis. Hey, you got him there, and Arnold Jarvis was there as well on that night. That's my my mate uh, Graham Finn playing the guitar with Kerry. I think this is the after party after a pub. We all came back again. Um. Uh, and that that night, those kind of nights were absolutely epic. Everybody absolutely adored Kerry. He just, you know, he's Kerry. You know what he's like. He was the first time we we had Kerry. He asked, "Could we have? Could he have a keyboard for the DJ box?" And the, well, that's when the key, DJ box was up high. We went, oh, okay, so we got him a piano. And next minute, he was mixing records and and playing the piano. This was like I can't remember the date, but um, that was kind of a, he was that was a huge one for us. As uh, DJ Deep, huge people loved him. Uh, well, see, we got Shane and Deep together. That's a good one. Look, which one is Shane and which one is Deep? You're right. Can you <laughs> tell us which one is which? Yes, Cyril's at the front, Shane's at the back. <laughs> he played an amazing set. You know, when a DJ just, just plays a set and he was just from start to finish, like it was just perfect, you know, right. And that was, uh, you know, so we, we brought the DJs in to enhance the night. They, oh, this is a, that's a fantastic photograph. That's Glenn, Glenn Underground, Boo Williams, Nelson Rosado from King Street, Justin Robinson and myself. What a gang. And that was one of the weekenders we were all, they were playing. At. I love that photo. It's fantastic. Wow. That was a good night, as you could it's imagine. This after party was legendary. Glenn and Boo. Played in this kind of bar underneath underneath the club till like six or seven in the morning, and it was fucking amazing. Uh, they were really, really good. See, everybody, that's history. Look at this. We got Russell. Ah, uh, yeah. What a guy. I love him. <laughs> San Francisco's Russell. Ah, uh, yeah. What a brilliant DJ too. You know, he and just of course, DJ for and the, the early days. Henry's now that would have been kind of on the Thursdays. You see, quite a, an interesting mix of people. Mm-hmm. Pushing along. When does this official time for you and Shane to sit down and go, let's start making, you know, we've already worked a long time club wise. We need to get serious and, and double like the, down. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, we we probably never said that actually. You know, we never said, let's get serious, but I think. Let's not get serious. Let's joke around and just do it for yeah, a we never would have probably we never would have said that, but I think around around two thousand after the kind of i records, and then we had stuff stuff out on gourmet, and that in two thousand and that um, that's what we were kind of doing it. We were in the studio every week then, you know. We were making rec- music all the time, maybe three days a week, four days a week in the studio. And uh, the studio was over in Shane's house at that time, and uh, we just we worked away hard at it then. And I think we knew that you know to. To get to be get any good at this, you gotta work at it, you know. You gotta put the hours in in the studio. You can't just kind of go in for a couple of hours and make a make a track, you know. So that's when we really kind of we, we got stuck in from about. Hold on, I'll have a look here. Have it here. Yeah, from about two thousand onwards. Yeah. yeah, I can see it on the rec in our releases. There's stuff coming out all the time during that period, right? Yeah, up till yeah, right up to the cure and the cause, like. You know. So explain in the pecking order of the studio work, who does what? Um, Shane would have been more always on the computer more. Uh, I I would have been 
I would have been more on the mixing desk and effects and I probably we both play stuff but we you know we both I'd be playing stuff in but he would have been more he would be more focused on the kind of the the actual sequencer and all that kind of stuff I'd be more thrown ideas and I do a lot of the, I would sit between the speakers a lot and do a lot of the actual physical mixing you know I was really into that and particularly when we use completely you know mainly out outboards kind of effects and things I you know sending all the stuff there for so sitting in between the two speakers and sure. get the sound you know that kind of way I think we probably always did it. We were mixing as we were going along, you know? Yeah. Right. Programming and mixing. Programming. I'd be working on a bit of the arrangement and I'd be working on the desk, kind of getting getting the kind of sound right in some, some way or other, you know, and or sending stuff around and fecking around with the effects and compressors and that, you know? So that, would have, that very much the pecking order would have been there. But we both, we both write the things together as such, you know? Here's the thing. Um, I was thinking about, especially for my own workflow, um, did you have anyone to look back at while you're making these records? Like, you know, you went to some other sessions of people to sponge, expungiate, or were you just learning right there how to we put were, this together? Lenny, there was nobody, you know, nobody in our environments near us that we, we well, know. So I want you to be clear on that. I want you to tell people that and you guys did on your own, you know, it, on it was not like, it wasn't like, you know, when you're in the States or in London, you could kind of you could sneak into a session or something and see what they were up to, but no, we just did it completely our own way. And the, I like the only reference points in you know in Ireland would have been kind of rock music or indie music, so that had nothing really to do with what we were doing. So we just had to just learn. We learned completely on our own. So so you two wouldn't have been your muse then. No, I still like you two, but um, no, um, no, not at all. They would have been, we would have been, you know, thinking about the kind of, you know, masses of work or you know, those kind of people. That's thinking, fine. If only we could make a record like that, you know, or, you know, the day, you know, all that was listening to, you know, all the kind of, uh, the Dave Morales and uh, Frankie Knuckles, some of those remixes. I've listened to some of them recently, the Janet Jackson remixes or some of the stuff they did. And it still sounds incredible today. So we were kind of always, our reference point would have been high up, you know, you know, or the Kerry sound or Todd sound or, or Glenn, I love Glenn Underground sound, the Boo Williams, that kind of sound, the rough sound as well. It's great. So I, that that was where our ref there they are again. <laughs> there we are again, Glenn and Boo. Those are, are a lot of our references. Point came from the states, you know, and you know, obviously the UK as well, and that. But may a lot of it would would have come from there, really. Wow. Okay. Let's talk about how this. Big record like them, by the way, just trying to emulate maybe even the sound well, of. That's the what I was going to say. Were you guys playing the music and listening to it in the studio and then ripping the records apart? Like, hey, we no, want to no, like trying to get the, maybe the feel of something, you know, or you know, just just. Uh, and then I think because we were left on our own, we ended up with our own thing, you know, because there was nobody else there. It was just us. You know? Even the way scenes develop now, they don't get a chance to develop. You know, back then. You could have a like we could have our own kind of house sounds that nobody else had, you know. Right. And, and nurture it. And nurture it because you're doing it to your crowd, you're yeah. you're experimenting. Yeah. Right? So you develop, you know, so you're you're maybe the sound comes from the club as well, you know, from the deep stuff and the thing. You get this whole thing going on. And you kind of it it you know you start making music kind of around that thing and it's it, it seeps into you in some way or other you know. Yeah, that's why that's why nightclubs are created for us to use ex, like an experiment tank. Yeah. Know, records and then oh boy, I can't wait to play this. For example, like on a Thursday night at the club, yeah. see what the response is going to be. Right. Totally, totally. And you know, it would be great if you played something that you know hadn't come out or something and. People had no idea, you know, and then you go, ooh, they like that, you know, and you go, oh, I didn't expect they, they'd like that one, or they, I didn't expect the reaction to it. So it was a fantastic way to test out, you know, through a proper PA. Oh, my God, the kick drum was way too loud, <laughs> you know, or whatever, you know, or ooh, too much bass, man, you know. So, the mix doesn't sound right. Yeah. Right, it's, take it off, it's, take it off. <laughs> shit, get rid of it. Get it off. Now. <laughs> or... Or holy shit, we got a hit on our hands, which sometimes happens too. You don't know. You're like, you know, I've learned that. You make a record. Sometimes you're not sure of it. Then you expose it to the crowd. 
And then, bam. Bam. You said, wow, this thing's going to be even bigger than we thought, right? It's just, you just, or you're mixing a record. <laughs> it happens. And you're like, Moses, you put your hands up and you part the Dead Sea. It's happened to all the best. Yeah. Now, in the sense, because you say to me, no one's around you in Ireland where you guys are. Who's the keyboard player? Who's playing the keys? Because I see keyboards around you. Who's playing these? Keyboard. Both of us will play the keyboards. And um, maybe one or two tracks, a guy called, uh, there was another guy, owned, oh, I can't think of a second name. He used to play the keys as well sometimes, but mainly us. And see, nobody knows that. Guitar and things, and you know. And we, occasionally we had, we had a on um, we had a bass player who worked on uh, Kurt worked on a few tracks with us, but most of the, the playing would have been us. Hmm? We or got sam- Andrew Carroll. It might have been samples. <laughs> you know, I want to tell you something. Um, Andrew Andrew Carroll, a friend of ours. Oh yeah, yeah. He uh, said to me, "You make sure you ask them about how they got that fish go deep." In this, from tech to this to the fish store, so we'll get to that in a minute. So I want to give him some credit because he's he's writing in. Um, oh. Irish people are all here, and they're all giving it up, saying, "You know, well done, mate." So, of course, with all you know, what's the first breakout record that gets you notoriety before the you know the one that everybody really got to know you? What's the one that you say, "Wow, you know." Across the ocean, they're ringing now. Well, the the the, the first one was the uh, "Let's Go Back" with Rebecca Marr, uh, the girl from Cork here as well. Let me let me give it her. And it's on um, it's on Shea Music. It was on Neil Lane's uh, label. And "Let's Go Back" was it it did really well, and a lot of people paid attention uh, to that record. No, that's Tracy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I have pictures of Rebecca, and so that was on Shea Music, and that wasn't. 2000 I think I'm not sure and that that uh, that was our first kind of that record did well and then we did one on Gourmet um, Music's Got Me uh, Mazzy's label that did well too uh, yeah they were the first that was the first record I think that kind of sold quite a lot uh, Shea were very good you know he, he was good on the promotions and I think had he had um the big, the huge track. What was it called? Mm. I can't remember. Let's not forget, he played for Paris is Burning that party. Neil Lean. Yeah, and he was he was he had his hands in a lot of stuff going on at that time. So he had all the right people around him to break a record. Remember the huge? It's yours. The it's yours. Yeah, was, with um, Eman and John Cutler. Yeah, and John and John Cutler gave it to Neil. And he didn't put out his own label. <laughs> John gave it to Neil Lean. I remember that John didn't even put out his own label. He get, he sells it to, to Neil Lean. It happens. Not thinking of not thinking too much about it. Like <laughs> and then woo. Next it. thing you know, it's yours is like the biggest, hottest club track in club in the club world. Big time. But see now, guys, you have to understand something. For, could, I'm gonna the audience now. You know, when you made records, you made a commitment to see it through because you had a high expense on this records that you're working on. You know, um, if you were running your own record label, you had to pay to do all the pressing and all that. You know, you or if you had a pressing distribution deal, you knew that money was coming out of your front end. You had to make commitments that you really believe in your product. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, yeah. And or the or the label believed in you, you know. And yeah, it was it was it was very different then, you know. Like in terms of, you couldn't you couldn't just throw in an old record and hope for the best, you know. You had to kind of get a price. Oh, there's so much to do. Like, so what did like? I mean, if you if you didn't get it right, I mean, you just lost money. You know? Right, and but a couple of those in succession. And even if you've a good P and D deal, and they go, well, do you know what? <laughs> we, but kind of, we put out, we put out some some ourselves, and then a, 
a lot, we've signed to a lot of different labels. Like, well, so. tell us an experience, for example, running the record label. What was that supposed to being where you hand off the record to a label? Well, when you hand it off, it's kind of, you know, you, you've done you've done the work as the artist and then they do all the rest of the stuff and you help with the promotion, obviously. Not. So it's kind of less hassle. When you're putting it out yourself, it's a whole different ballgame, you know. You really have to get the promotion right and you have to, you know, you spend money on everything, you know. And like in the end, by the time, you know, by the time it all comes back, there, there ain't a lot of money and all that, you know, really, unless you get one of the, a, a, a big hit, you know. And I suppose you got to bear in mind too, back then, you know, back in the 2000s, like records were still selling a lot, you know? Yeah. So you could make money from a 12 inch. You know? Right. You know, like, you know, you know, some people say no, they're, they're pressing up 500 copies. Like I don't think they would have pressed up 500 copies in the 2000s. Would they, would they even done a run that small? You know? No, right. Exactly. The promotion run out would have been more just yeah. so they gave out free goods. Yeah. So it's a different time. Somebody asked me a question here. Colin Morrissey is saying, ask Greg about the sweat birthday party nights. That was epic. I had to bring that up. Oh, yeah. 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 Amazing. They're always incredible. Like, I mean, so it was kind of, you get the people from from all over the years. Like, I think the last time we did was 30, the 30, 30th anniversary. So you're looking at generational things, like, you know, right from my kids on the dance floor to people who were coming there right from the start when I think so epic nights really emotional and you get to always very difficult because how could you put all that music into that one night but you kind of somehow would try and figure out to kind of to play the play a selection of music from over the years they're kind of a lovely celebration of 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 that feeling you got from that that residency which was that totally unique kind of cork thing and then people from all over the country and people from outside the country would come and travel to see epic you know they're 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 kind of in kind of in my brain forever. Some of the, some great nights. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, you, you, hard to explain it. Like, and the place is full early. Like you play for six or seven hours, you know, everybody wants to hear their favorite tune, which you inevitably are not going to play, but you'll try your best. <laughs> Lovely. It's just not enough hours in the day to play all the tunes that we oh, had to oh. do. A lovely affirmation of, of, of the whole thing of that lovely communal feeling you get from from being in a club, you know, it's lovely. So now we we're into the two thousands. Thank you for that. And and we're into the two thousands. And of course, you, you you're signing records all around the world. Like you said, you work with Shay and all these other labels. How does this record that everybody gets to know you happen? The one that you know in two thousand six. Well, yeah. Uh... We started working with Tracy, and we started write, writing stuff with Tracy. And uh, we did we did a track. I think it was in two thousand. I don't hold on. I have it here. Nights like these, and uh, we did a track with Tracy, and it, it, it was just did really well. Really nice track. And then we just started bit by bit working on an on an, the idea of an album with Tracy. So this is the Tracy girl. This is Tracy Kelleher there. I love Tracy. Tracy. That's in a club in Dublin called Wax. It was tiny. She stood on the she stood in the window ledge and sang the song up there. Wow. It was brilliant. And it was just like when it was start when it was really starting to go. And um we did it, we did a, a load of stuff with her. We fashioned on a whole album of stuff. And hold on, brother. How did you find her? Um we met her through some friends in Galway. And we knew she could sing. She, she was singing with another girl as well. I can't remember the other girl's name. Uh, and uh, they came down to, to try out a track with us. And uh, they both sang. And Tracy sang a kind of a, a, a track over, over some stuff we were doing. And we just really liked her, vo her voice. And uh, it just hit it off. It was one of those things. And we started sending her music. And she started coming back with great songs. You know, beautiful songs, really, really interesting songs. So how long did it take you to, to the point where we, we get to know her synonymous for the deep, the deep record where you say, this is the record and you produce this and go all the way with it? Well, I don't know. I suppose it was, we kind of around 2005, 2004, we had all those, all those songs that we worked on together. And uh, the guys in uh, Canada, Ultrasound Chad, he was. We put out the album, 
And as part of the album, then the Cure and the Cause, which he said, let's get a remix done for this. And uh, he got Dennis, and there was a big delay in it. Dennis wasn't well, he had Lyme's disease. And there was a big delay in it. And eventually the remix came back. And uh, we all just, I remember we played it in a club in town here, Fast Eddie's. And I remember going, wow, what's this? And that kind of took off. And it, it kind of just went mad. <laughs> Suddenly the song just was everywhere, you know? And the, I think, you know, it was picked up by the, the, the pirates in the UK and particularly in London. And then suddenly it was just all over the place. And then uh, Simon uh, Dunmore from Defective came in and offered us, uh, you know, uh, to, to take it on and see what would happen. How long was that before Simon got his hands on that record? Before Defective? It, was, it, was still, it was still in the record stores. It was still on ultrasound. And it was, I think it was, just about coming out. So there was only about, I don't know, we don't know, four or 500 copies had gone, gone out. Oh, that's it? Yeah, we don't know. We still don't know. There could have been a few more. We're not sure. Um, but <laughs> there's a lot of bootlegs of it, actually. So. But uh, I think then Simon came on board then. He, he offered us, kind of, he offered us a whole deal and an album thing as well. So, and we had, the album had come out, uh, um, uh, the album had come out, Little Hand, and uh, he kind of, yeah, he just came in and just said, do you want to sign it over to us? And you said, no. <laughs> no, no, we said, the brilliant. Uh, we went over to, to, to do well, the, Hang to on. Do, and Simon's actually, Simon's great. Wait, 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 hang on. Let me, let's bring it back. Let me roll the tape back. So you first licensed it to a Canadian label, correct? No, yeah, we, 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 we did it with Chad. No, we, we signed it with him. We, we had, we, he, we had he had put out another record uh, of ours. So did he actually do a licensing like we know it, or or he or he took it as a master purchase the record? In other words, you signing it to him for the life of the perpetuity of the copyright? Uh, no, no, it was only licensing. And then he, okay, so he licensed it. So when Simon came to the table, did he go directly to you, or you took a record label to go? Chad and eventually he kind of Chad fell out of the he lost kind of interest in being a record label thing and uh, we we ended up it was just us and and um and Simon and defected so in hindsight it was better that that kind of happened right that you did, yeah yeah I think I think yeah Chad wasn't I don't think he, he kind of lost interest in the whole record business thing what and, uh, you think what was the reason why he he would have lost it do you have he, he got involved in pressing plants was his big thing you know that's how he, what he did in Canada uh he had a pressing plant and that's I'm not exactly sure what happened uh I don't know did he did he had something to do with developing that big new pressing plant the automated kind of one has he got something to do with that I don't know well, you, he, he kind of fell out, he kind of just d- disappeared from the the scenario. Well, you know, and it was that funny time where vinyl was. It was just kind of on the. Yeah, it was that funny, like 05, 06, 04. It was just, it was changing. The business was changing. Distributors were going out of business left and right. Um, it just became more of the CD generation, MP3 generation. You can say it, but that's really what happened. And a lot of pressing plants were closing. So I can understand possibly with him being in a, a pressing and distribution company, him losing interest is, is not something that you would say, well, I can't see why he wouldn't want to do it anymore. At that time, the business was doggy, real doggy and ending, you know, the vinyl business, not, not you know. Yeah. To be honest, I really don't know. But so I remember because I was, I signed a record to Ministry, and Ministry told me that record I signed, that was the last vinyl one they were going to release. They were stopping vinyl. So it was around that time, because they just weren't moving the numbers anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, to say the least, I remember that record being all over the place. Your yeah. record. During the calls. <laughs> it was everywhere. It was everywhere. It, I mean, I it changed. It was on every compilation known to man. And and that's the way we love it. So how does life change for you and Shane post uh, this record coming out? Um, How's it change? I suppose, yeah, I suppose we got a lot more money from the the actual music itself. Like, 
we got we we did we did a lot of we got offered a lot of gigs, which some of them were good and some of them were terrible, you know, because I think they some people got the wrong idea, you know, with, with the kind of the the kind of music um, because yeah, of yeah, DJ. I don't know, but uh, it, 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 I don't know that we we kind of we just kept going the way we were going. Really, we didn't not too much change in a lot of ways. Like now, obviously, much more people knew about us. And you could, you know, you could get more foreign gigs and all that kind of thing. But as as we kind of kept doing what we've always done and just going with our souls and you know, just seeing what we want to do, you know. Being that you had, you know, Sir Henry's and you guys had great nights. Not at this stage now. So. Oh, that was what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you're traveling. The comparisons. Did you enjoy the traveling as much as playing at home? Very mixed. I, I much prefer playing at home. I, you know, because sometimes when you're traveling, you have to convince people, you know, that, you know. And we we have quite a deep sound, you know. It's quite different, you know. So sometimes they just wouldn't get it, you know. So you'd be kind of going, God, give me a car crowd any day, you know. <laughs> and you, can you tell the, the people how this, this is the, the funny thing about the name Fish Go Deep actually was invented? Well, we had a, we, there's a, the English market in um, Cork City here, and there's a, part of it's a fish market. And we had a record store there, little tiny little record store where we sold uh, all the imports every week. And it was called Fish Records because <laughs> the fish market was right beside us. So we, um, we kind of decided when we released music, we were going to go like Fish Go Tech, Fish Go Jazz, Fish Go Funky, or Fish Go whatever, like, and then eventually we ended up with Fish Go Deep, which kind of stuck. Now we had one, one, our first record was called Fish Go Tech. And uh, that, ca- that came out as Fish Go Tech. And then we went Fish Go Deep. And it kind of suited because the sound was deep. We were playing and the music we made was deep as well. And it's kind of, you know, you know the way the, the names of bands are kind of silly, but it kind of, it works. It worked. Know? No, it worked. The, the, the silliness is what makes you remember it. It's like, wow. Um, it's a good story too. On a mellow note, we're gonna put the tears now. How did you? How did you? How did you and Shane feel when Sir Henry's ended? Uh, I uh, to be honest, I it had kind of it had run its course. I think the people who owned the place weren't looking after it anymore, and it was kind of it was a shame for the city, like because you know it, it was a really good venue, but it had kind of it had seen better days in the end for me. I I I was sad to see it go, but. It was just hadn't been looked after, and you know it needed investment, and it needed it needed a bit of love put into it. I think it, it always had the money was always been extracted from the from the business, and it 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 kind of it wasn't what it was, you know. And it, I mean, it was it was a real kind of loss to the city, you know, and a loss to the whole thing. But I in in a lot of ways, I was kind of it was over, you know. We were there thirteen years, every Saturday night, man, you know, like. Sure. One of us was always there. If one was on holidays, there, there's me. <laughs> if one of us was on holidays, the other one was there. Yeah. So it's kind of. Uh, so you know, I tell you sometimes, sometimes, Lenny, something, sometimes things are over. You've done as much as you can do in the place, you know. And 13 years is a long time. <laughs> Look how long ministry. Wait, hang on. Let's 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 give some ages here. Look how long ministry of sound is still going. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you're right. There is points where you say it's time to throw that towel in. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it's and just... It's, and, and, and try different things. And, it, you know, if if the venue had been run appropriately and, at, you know, but by the end it was quite a mess. You know, it's kind of, no. It's over. It's not What's over. that building now? It's nothing. It's just derelict. There's, it's kind of one of those places in the center of the city that need, in, even the hotel part of it is still derelict. So it, it's up for, it needs to be redeveloped badly. It's kind of really sad when you walk by it. And it was a fantastic venue, you know, and we badly need venues in, in Ireland at the moment. God. Plans forward for you guys? Where are we at now? First yeah. of all, we've we're, heard- at the moment, well, at the moment, we're, we're finishing another album. Are you working we, an album? Okay. Yeah, we had a, we, we we had an album out there uh, the year before last. 
And uh, so we're just finishing another one at the moment. So we're kind of just going through the tracks and figuring out what's what. And uh, we're going we're gonna to do that. We're working on a, a couple of uh, 12 inches as well for release or dance tracks. 12 inches? Sorry. <laughs> you know, I want to make sure. I was like, wow, because no, I, I have to say this. Louis Vegas releasing Dave Lee's releasing vinyl. So I was wondering if you were getting ready to release vinyl. I'm like, wow, okay. Uh, hopefully, I mean, hopefully, we, I'd like to. I'd like to get it on vinyl because, like, we put out the the last album. We put out in vinyl, and it's so it's really, really nice to hold the record in your hand, you know. And you know, you're. I still love Twelve Inches. You know, when you you're playing a, a gig and you take one out, and it's the blue one with the little inside mix, you know, or it's the red one with the X on the thing, you know. I still love that. It's not, you know, you're scrolling through the old bloody CD player. It's not the same for me. <laughs> I still love the old 12 inches. So hopefully, yeah, yeah, we'll, we've got the, we're going to sh- put them out. Is there going to be a tour with you guys? I know, because I know you stepped back with the DJ. I've kind of pulled back a, a really a, a bit. So it, Shane was in South Africa recently. It went really well. So he's definitely, he'll be out there playing around, playing thing. I'll, I'll see how it goes. I, I'm, I'm not saying yay or nay, nay at the moment. Like so, I just not sure. Can I? My old ears take the the, the hammering of the monitors, those loud DJ boxes, all that bass. <laughs> does the does the actual uh, earplugs that you had made for you do they really help, or is it still? Oh, they do. I mean, it's great. It's great. I mean, I would advise anybody who's exposed to long loud music for long periods of time they should get proper attenuated hearing hearing protection because it you know it can make a huge difference you know and i mean sometimes the volumes like in you're dealing with in the dj box are crazy like you know up around 100 dbs and you know that's not good for your ears so they they really do help i mean i can go to a gig or i can stand in a loud place no problem but i don't i don't have any problems the next day now as a dj it's a little tricky because you know that everything is down a bit and you don't you don't hear the room as well so that could be very a very tricky thing you know Right, that's what I was gonna say because you you know every it's like having everything muffled a bit and it's hard to tell if everything is a little bit of the top end and you kind of go Ugh. it takes a bit of getting used to you know mm. but if you're in loud situations I mean I'd highly recommend people to to wear them you know would you re- would you recommend young producers to and you know, with the inspiration of this music that we all love, to 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 go after it. Do you feel like there's a longevity in this? You know, with with the music of soulful dance, house music, and stuff. You would you recommend it? Would you go a different way if you were a younger guy? I, I, that's an interesting question. I I think there's plenty there to be done. You know, and if if people feel they really want to make it and it's coming from somewhere, go for it. You know. But like, if if you're just making it to, you know, to become something, or you know, you're not making for it, there has to be a reason. It has to come out for some reason. So I, I really, I really think you, you you'd have to feel it and really want to do it. Like I, I don't, I'm not sure anymore how easy it is to make kind of a living per se out of it. You know, as a, as a just a producer. So yeah, tricky. It's tricky. I mean, it's tricky for anybody in the music business now. I think it's tricky for you know, it'd be whatever type of music you're in. You know, it's becoming more and more difficult. And I mean, you know, to, to end up, you know, you can see with so many bands, they have to tour endlessly just to cover the, the costs. And I mean, streaming is kind of really, you know, it's killed killed a lot of artists, really. It's true. It's true. It's a difficult time, you know. So I think, you know, if you are making music, you have to really question why you're doing it. You know? Yeah, why, why am I getting up to make music for? You must really want to do it. You must have to. It must have to come out of you for some reason or other. You know, I think that's the only. Re- well, that's the only reason to make music anyway. I think. You know? Yeah, no, I know. But yeah, it has to be. It has to be a reason. <laughs> no, I know, I know, and you know what? And that's why I asked that question because you know you come from when music meant something. I mean, some- it still means. It means still means those to people, but as well, a, an actual. Like somebody getting into it now, it's God, it's really tricky to kind of find a way to, to keep yourself going as an artist, you know? That's right. You can see it like for everybody, you know, no matter who, even the, you know, the biggest, the, you know, unless you're Taylor Swift. <laughs> Do you believe the social media thing is worth all the energy and in putting into it? Oh, 
I, I'm kind of skeptical about it, really. You know, I, I, I mean, it's great for advertising. You, you know, your gigs or you got your put your music out, but I don't know. It seems I, I just I don't like working for those guys. You know. <laughs> do you feel like you're working for them, or do you feel uh, like it's? No, you're kind of. I don't know. I don't know about the whole thing, really. <laughs> I just never liked the idea when promoters looked at your social media and because yeah. you come from a different era, say, before this whole thing came to social media, and they judged you on how many people following you as to how good you are. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be what's happened. I, I, I don't know because not many people follow me. <laughs> you do. <laughs> we're here right now we're following you i know i know but it's like i don't know i'm a little skeptical of the whole thing i think we'll all we look back in 10 years time hopefully and say god what was that about oh <laughs> unfortunately i don't know if that's possible because it just seems like that smartphone well, is part of our life it's an extension of our hands. there's something called it was an infinity scrolling where people are just like hmm. where's the bottom where's the fucking bottom of the whole thing <laughs> It's rewiring people's brains. I'm convinced of it. You know, tension. Oh. No. Well, you know what? We, we, it's it's. I I constantly read things like this. We we're inundated with tons of information, but we've lost wisdom. Yeah, and, and it's the really truth. There's too much information in any. If you think about it, you know, there's so yeah. much stuff. You know, you open up everything. Like go go on to the you know go on to track source tomorrow. I say, God, where are we going to start? Like you know, how. Right. Two days later, you'll still be listening to all the records. You know, there's so much stuff. You know? Too so, much you don't in, so you don't believe in the power of Spotify or any of that stuff, right? I don't know. I, 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 I yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've a lot of followers in Spotify, so, and a lot of people listen to the music, so I believe in that. <laughs> Good. So you understand that the streaming, because a lot of the old folks don't really understand the streaming game. They look at this one, you know, and I'm talking about in house music, for example, they look at track source and Beatport and it stops there right there for them. They don't look at the other parts of it. You know, the yeah, streaming. Exactly. I mean, if you, you know, I mean, I mean, the sales on the, on the download sites are pretty poor these days. Like, yeah. it doesn't take much to get to number one. Yeah, really. It doesn't take much at all. So you wonder where the hell everything, where is everybody getting the music? Because either they're listening to it on YouTube or they're streaming it like a radio all day. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I have one of those uh, Denon uh, uh, CD players and it's it's linked to, to Tidal. And I, you could DJ with it, you know? So, you know, you can, you can actually, you can download the tracks while you're playing and you, you wouldn't have to buy anything. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I wouldn't fancy doing it in the club. Like, but, yeah. Well, I asked that question to the reps, and the reps told me, because the idea was the, the the player would download the music, but you'd have to set this all up before you go to the club. And what happens is you're doing like a rental, like we used to do with VCR tapes back in the day, like you go rent the movie, bring it home. So you rent the music for a week or two, and when you go back on to recertify with the internet, it wipes it all out. It's crazy. It's like you don't really own. It's a new way of owning music. It's just like you're gonna borrow it. You're gonna just you're gonna borrow it. right. And then when you turn the thing back on to hit Wi-Fi again, Gonzo, it's all gone. It's crazy. Everything's crazy now. You know, we've all just have to learn to just. Accept what we're dealt with, work around everything that we're trying to, to, to work around, and don't forget where we've all come from. That's my motto. Okay. Fair That's enough. Where, forget where we come from. Keep playing the guitar. Keep playing your piano. Don't stop. I wish you all the best. You guys make great music. You got a lot of heart. Um, I wish you would open up Sir Henry's again so we can all come back and play because I love playing yeah. Oh, I'd love a club in Cork all the time. Yeah. Oh, my God. People, I, I, I still say this to this day, the most heartfelt crowd I ever played for in my life. Huh. That's lovely. <laughs> Beautiful people. All the DJs said that, that you the, have to come. 
was full of love, the room, and they just loved the music. You know, everybody who went there loved the music. That's why I said to when you pure, say really pure when it's like that, you know, it's just you're focused, no matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, you're all there together to experience this lovely thing called music. <laughs> it's fantastic. Do you believe in the disco movement? The new oh, the disco again coming back. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's I mean, just it's great. Like, you know, people love it, but I don't know. I'm a little skeptical, really. What do you mean, Skeleton? What happened? What, 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 again, for the second time. <laughs> you know, God. I don't know. It's, it, yeah, it's not for me. Put it that that, way. That's why I, that's why I asked, because it's not, it's not everybody's bag. Yeah, it's not, yeah. And it's just kind of like rehashing a rehash of a rehash. Is it like, I don't know. Maybe. On that note, children, you've heard it from one of the best of the game. Kitties, did you get your pens and papers out? Learned a lot today from this man. <laughs> He's constantly back in there. They're making albums. He's going to come back. You know, because people had asked me, uh, Greg, they said, wonder why Greg's not touring. He's not playing a lot. They didn't know about the whole tinnitus situation. But, you know, we want to wish you the best with that. Um, that it doesn't get anything more than where you're at with it. You could just you know, keep it under bay. Cause I remember a friend's father told me a long time, he had a printing press and for many years they had those loud machines and you know, you're around that all day. It does the same thing like being in a DJ box. Right. So he used to say to me, I have to go down to the, where the sea was to listen to the waves. So I yeah. could just relax my brain because the, 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 the constant noise was just ridiculous, you know, but we wish you the best, and of course, I I'm, I can't wait to run into you again. And uh, stay safe, and we will watch what you guys put out for sure. And make sure you please get me the new tracks because you I know will. I will support them. Of course, I will. I get Shane to send them on to you. Well, Shane, all our best. We miss them. We love them. Okay, people, we'll see you all next week here. And thank you to Mr. Greg Dowling, a gentleman, a DJ. Scholar, the grandfather, <laughs> a grandfather, a fisherman. Because that was all I was going to say to you. No, that fish shop. Check this out. Could you imagine what that's like? He's got a fish. He's got a fish place, and then he's got the record shop. So he's got some funky sounds with some stinky fish coming around. But if it's stinky, it's not fresh. <laughs> That's it, people. Have a good night around the world. We'll see you all next week. Stay with me, Mr. Dowling. Ciao. Ciao. Greg.